0: Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted.
1: Welcome, 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 one and all men and women children. Well, maybe not children. We usually drop some F-bombs on this show, but children like F-bombs. Yep. Absolutely. They do. (laughs) Um, anybody who's, uh, interested in the stuff that we talk about here on the B&E podcast, I'm Evan. My cohort here is Brandon. Cohort. Yeah. (laughs) I like that. That's funny. Uh, you've used that before. Yes. Um, so welcome to the B&E podcast. Uh, today, we thought um, we're going to do something we haven't done for a little while. Something that we were going to try to start doing on a more regular basis. Yeah, once a month was our plan. Yeah. So like, once every eight episodes, we do a... A film breakdown. Yeah. Like, um, or at least, or a couple of film breakdowns, which is our plan this time. The first time we did it, we had just started listing off all, like, all of these movies, and we got to, like, two and started touching on, I think a third one. Yeah.
0: We were going to try to touch on whiplash, but then we were like, no, not going to happen. Yeah.
1: It's like just way too much, especially once you really start diving into it, which is great though, because it's good to really dive into great pieces of of film. Yeah. Which is kind of what the whole idea is, is to explore why these things are great. Yeah. Why these were, you know, not everybody's going to like them, obviously that, but that are generally have been very well received, highly acclaimed films and films that we personally uh, really liked. And just go, going into it from an artist's lens, um, as well as being uh, somewhat on, on a technical level as well, being able to see, oh, like I, we can get into any number of things, I suppose. But um, for me, it's it's really interesting to talk about these films and then talk about them in the sense of what were the things that just like, that made them connect? Like what were the ideas that they were communicating? Um, you know, the, the deeper stuff Hmm. that goes on in, in a really terrific piece of storytelling. So today, Oh, I was going to say before you you
0: tell them before you reveal it, which they probably read in the title, but, uh, uh, is that I also like to talk a little bit about why these stories work or don't work? Mm -hmm. Like what elements are are at play? What's going on? Because one thing that, uh, one thing that I've recognized in my journey as a screenwriter and a filmmaker is that you can get feedback from your audience or your readers, but they usually, their advice, unless they're trained on knowing what to look for, most of the time their advice is not, you, you want to take it with a grain of salt. What you really want to hear is how they felt because their feelings are revealing of what's going on. And, um, I think that people who just my personal opinion, I've shared this before, but I think people who talk about filmmaking or screenwriting from a technical point usually miss the point because the point is how you feel the logic of a script and the logic of a movie often doesn't make sense. That's why some people are like, I don't understand why anyone likes this movie. And it's like, you don't understand because you're not thinking about how they feel which actually is what matters. Like you, you look at it and you go, logically, it's stupid. Yeah, it is but they felt something and that's what actually mattered. Yeah. Even if it was just, it's so silly and ridiculous. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the thing is, is like, I, I really want to take it from that point is like, not just look at the deeper meanings, but I want to look at like, what, what did they do to achieve that?
1: Yeah. You know, and make that kind of come through. Yeah. Know? That's one of the things that, uh, Jeff kitchen in his book, how to write a great movie talks about from the beginning, mm-hmm. like before you start working on your script, one of the first questions he thinks that you need to ask yourself: Is how do you want want your audience to feel when they walk out of the theater? Mm. You know, like what what is the experience you want them to walk away with? You know, what's the feeling? I like a, it. Yeah, I, I got to like, read that book. That's, oh, it's 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 really good. Like it's yeah. it's yeah, it's kind of just very practical kind of stuff. Um, well, but you also You've me.
0: referenced it a couple times too, and so I'm
1: yeah, like, I mean, yeah, it's kind of crazy because I've written, I, I've written, I've read some other screenwriting stuff, but I've, I don't know if I've ever actually like really read through completely, like I've read bits and pieces from like a lot of different things, but this is actually the only one screenwriting book I've ever read like cover to cover before. Oh really? Uh, Everything else I've learned, you know, I learned from Don Simmons. I've learned stuff from you. I've just, I've picked up stuff a lot. I've learned from like articles from like really celebrated screenwriters and stuff but it's the only one I've actually read front to back because really? I, it yeah. was, yeah, it was, it was just like, I, I think I, I don't even remember exactly how it entered my life exactly. It was, but it came highly recommended. It was just like, this is like one of the best screenwriting books to have come out in a long time. And I was like, oh, okay. All right. And I'll, I'll grab it, right? And I'll pick it up and and yeah, it's really good. It it ba- it really just covers basics like basic structure, how and then shows how it actually works in real films. And um he uses a different it's not his own invention. He took it from another guy who he references a bunch. Um but he has a 36 dramatic situations which are a tool that I use quite a bit, which is like you know, they're not, um, themes or whatever, but they're like things that could like happen that could help play up your theme in certain ways. And they have really interesting names to them. Like they sound very classical in style. It's just like, you know, like vengeance and redemption. like, are these elements that you could incorporate in your script? Um, vengeance taken for like, um, you know, like all of these weird, th- different things for like stuff. That's like, Oh, like kindred upon kindred, like, and you know, how can what's it's, kindred upon kindred, like, um, basically like in literal sense, like kindred upon kindred would be like, uh, like family, like, like it would be like family feud, okay. family feud but you can apply it in a more metaphorical sense and that it's just like, it could be a friend. It doesn't have to literally be family, right. but it, um, it's just like a close relationship. And like, yeah, I think one was called like vengeance for kindred upon kindred, like a f- like somebody hurts another person. So if you had a tale of like a friend betraying another one of your friends or something like that, now you've got to hmm. go after them or something in some <laughs> way. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting really interesting stuff. Oh, that's
0: cool. Um, I got to read that book. I mean, I've, I've actually, I'm on the other end of the spectrum. I, I've read so many screenwriting books cover to cover. I've read, I've written, I've read everything. I read the acknowledgements. I read the, the, the writer bio. And there was a certain point where I was reading so many of these things back to back. Yeah. That I was like, I've heard this stuff over and over and over <laughs> again. but I, but And most people would probably get super bored, but I guess because I have such a passion for uh, storytelling that it's always been something that's really interested me. And, and, and what striving
1: I, for excellence too. Yeah,
0: exactly. And so you start to hear the same things over and over and over again from people You start to go, okay, if everybody's talking about this, let's really like look into this. Is this something, you know, valid? Um, but also every person who writes a screenwriting book, they usually have one little nugget that made it all worth it. And if you right. can find it. And I, I think like the, the way that I created uh, the timeless storytelling course I've done, which is basically just only gotten rave reviews. And it's actually what I keep getting hired to teach people now. Mm-hmm. I basically teach people my timeless method. Yeah. But my timeless method is in a lot of ways based on all the reading I did, you know, in a lot of ways because yeah. and the work I've done myself. But but I found little nuggets that lots of people miss. And so I can bring and incorporate those all into one form. And also you start reading enough books. There's a really other great flip side. And I guess this is with anything, but you start to see where a lot of writers are bullshit. You start to be like, yeah, you're full of shit. You never really wrote a script. Like I can actually tell when people like certain things they talk about. I'm just like, it's like if you've been to war, you know, Mm -hmm. and you come back and someone talks about going to war, you know, I'd imagine I've never been to war. So I'm that guy. I'm the guy talking about, Oh yeah, wars like this. I played modern warfare or some shit, you know? Yeah. It's like we're battle, you know, battlefield, but like, but it's like when you've gone out and done it and also you've done a lot of research, you start to see, Oh, like, this makes sense. Or like, you know, you read acting books and sure you read a lot of those too. Yeah. It's like, you're reading it and you're like, this is really great, but how do you act that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're like yeah. reading it and you're like, this is a really great observation of an actor, but like, it's great as a critic, but how is it yeah. great as an actor? You know, like that's what I, when I'm reading these books, I'm like, that's great as someone observing someone else's writing like technical, but like, how do I actually use that as a writer? Yeah, You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. So we can probably get into some of that stuff, I think, with these movie reviews, which could be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: totally. That's so, yeah, fun. Right. So as for the movies, that was a nice little sort of like little side venture. Yeah. Um, but our movies, we are going to talk about Inside Out. Pixar, Pixar, um, Pixar. There, those guys are are masters. They have their own little uh, was like twenty some some rules of storytelling. Yeah, which there's some real gems in there. Like they're they're masterful. I mean, that's like top of the line. Yeah, and like I even watched Finding Dory recently, which you know people had said it's just like ah, it's not one of Pixar's best. Like it was them. Like it's like if Pixar was phoning phoning something in, <laughs> like finding dory was kind of the closest they'll ever get to it because it was still pretty good was it like it was still enjoyable it still kind of like made me emotional cat was like crying on the couch (laughs) what is it with pixar and just like at some point they just got to make everybody cry yeah um which we'll get into with inside out (laughs) but uh it was still really great like they're they're um their core, their fundamentals of how they tell stories. They've, mm. they've got stuff locked down. Um, they've got a really great process and, uh, and also cause it's an animated film. It's a family film. Like it was, it had a really wide range, um, appeal to it. And then after we talk about that, we're going to talk about a classic, the karate kid. Nice. Not, not the remake. No, with uh, Jaden Smith and and Jackie Chan. We're talking about uh, the old school the one. The OG. Man. Yeah. The OG Karate Kid. Which, man, I watched <laughs> that movie I don't know how many times as a kid. Yeah. Like, I don't know how many times. It was one of my favorites uh, growing up. It has some fantastic
0: lessons in it, too, which I think, you know, the movie has become almost a comment on itself. It's almost become a cliche. Like the Karate Kid has almost become a cliche today. You know, wax on, wax off, all this stuff. But the lessons that are taught in that particular movie are honestly like some of the master keys to success. Because literally you want to train and get yourself to the point. And I know we're we're just a commercial ahead because it's our second film we're going to break down. But if you practice something so much that it becomes automatic without you thinking about it, that is mastery. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of what the karate kid is. And, and you find that you build mastery in an indirect way. You know, you, you've often shared this Larry Silverberg, right? Yep. He said, your acting does not inform your acting. Life informs your acting, right? which is much like the karate kid. He's like, you wax a car, you, you, it actually relates to doing karate. Like, like, Yeah. And the problem is if you actually look at it, uh uh all these other kids, they're training karate. But karate kid is actually doing things in life. He's doing these routine acts in life. Not we're not even understanding why he's doing them. But this is the thing that I'd really want to share with our listening audience, is that um I've said on the show, sometimes you know, it's not fair for someone who like you're not you're not in an equal playing field with someone who you know, maybe they started out with their parents were filmmakers mm-hmm. or their parents were actors. They were already successful in the industry. Um, they had all these contacts. So you're not necessarily starting in the same place as them. They, they have certain advantages that have more to do than with skill, but from a skill point of view, you can train at whatever you do a hundred percent of the time. Like, and I learned this very early on in my career is I was, I had to work for example, I was working for Earl's. I was working for a restaurant. Yeah. Um, and I would be walking around and I'd be like, well, how is this like an acting scene? Or, you know, I'd just be thinking about like, what would I like, imagine the cameras were on me. Like, how would I shoot this scene? Mm. So I was already thinking like a filmmaker and I was thinking like, I would ask myself like, what's the story here? Like maybe the story isn't interesting, but what's the story, you know? And, and the thing is, is you have, you, and as an actor, you have, moments to observe all the time. I'm actually doing this exercise right now. It's kind of funny. I'm playing grand theft auto, but I'm playing it online for the first time. I've never played online until literally like a week or so ago. Yeah. And I, I have my earbuds in and I'm listening to these guys talk and, um, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna speak in the same language they have, but you know, black guys from Chicago, you know, there's movies about how they talk. Yeah. But like listening to them actually talk and kind of being on the inside group with them and
1: hanging out with them. Well, I say certain communities, certain certain black communities in Chicago. No, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying everybody talks. And I, and I'm not, I know you're not saying that. I just want to make sure that everybody else
0: does. I'm a a white kid who grew up in the suburbs. So, you know, like I have a certain experience in Canada, on the West coast. (laughs) So the East coast, you know, our middle, middle right there in the States is a, is a different, it's a different culture. And the thing is this. That's just one of many, many cultures. But it what 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 has been really great for me is just hanging out with these guys, listening to them talk, and they talk way differently than anyone I'm used to talking. But it helps me to be a writer because I feel like I could write that subculture a lot better, right? Because I I'm I'm listening to it and the, the casualness uh, the casualness of the way they drop say the N bomb.
1: You know what I mean? Yeah it's like, and it's just, this is how people, which are, is like, we can't even say it. No, we're just like, <laughs> we just refer to it as the end bomb, you yeah. know? Like, I mean,
0: here you, you, you know, and, and like on the conversation that we're having, you know, like I'm not, even, I'm not saying it on this, on here, you know, I, I, I don't think it's like, I think the whole race thing's a touchy issue. So I don't want to, I don't want to offend anybody. I want to be mindful of that. Right. And I, I think, um, the whole, the whole thing with the N word, right? The whole idea of that was that um, the power is taken back.
1: You know mm-hmm. what I
0: mean? So like you take the power back in the word and, and it used to be used as a derogatory term, but when I'm with them, everybody's an N word. Everybody. <laughs> it's, it's it's, yeah. take, it's, it's like your brother. You're like saying brother, right? It's, it might as well be the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's a really, it's an interesting world to be invited into. You know what I mean, and so like I, I think that there's always a moment to learn. I'm playing video games and I'm becoming a better writer because yeah. I'm listening to how people talk. So there's never a moment, you know, even when I'm playing Grand Theft Auto, which sounds like it's entirely just a waste of time. You know, my parents would probably say so. Yeah, but it's actually I'm learning. Um, the way they create a story of a job in that game, the way you you work together with people to to say do a heist. Yeah you know, there's a story in that and, and you're invited into this world. So what my point is, is that I just want to say like, we're all from a skill point of view. I think we all get to start from the same spot. Nobody yeah. gets an advantage there. It's all about how willing you are to take these moments to learn. Mm-hmm. Someone could be in the best class in the high schools and whatever, but you don't need that to learn. And I think that's the most important thing that I want to launch this conversation off with. Cause like you look at Pixar, right? Mm-hmm. It's fucking intimidating. You know what I mean? Like, like just think about it. You want to be a filmmaker or an animator or a storyteller and you're competing against Pixar. Pixar. Yeah. Like they look like a giant compared to
1: like, yeah. you, you know, like I, I don't even think like as good as like Disney has been like yeah. making some really good animated stuff again. Um, they're, I I still find that they're like, they're on the heels of Pixar in terms of the sophistication of storytelling that they're doing. I think, I think, I think the
0: world is a little bit on the heels of Pixar. I mean, I think Pixar is one of the, excuse me, (laughs) beer top, uh, (laughs) the top, you know, the top, um, storytelling, uh, uh, companies in the world because they consistently pump out quality stories that bring
1: out emotion. Yeah. And that's, I think they've created that culture too, you know, like that's not, you know, and, and talking about like something like video games, um, just to, to make this point clear about how important the culture is within these studios. Um, you know, some of the greatest storytelling games, uh, of all time are, um, the Uncharted series or, or not just Uncharted because, uh, the last of us is, a huge title. Like some people argue like one of the best pieces of storytelling and video games ever. Yeah. Um, and that's from Naughty Dog. Right. And they have consistently been doing this for a very long time. Even hell, even, uh, um, I remember playing their, their Jack and Daxter trilogy, which was more cartoonish, but really extraordinary storytelling, for the technology that they were working with, like really high caliber, nobody was doing it on that high level. Hmm. Um, and they've had people come and go like heads of the company, like come through it, right. And, and move on to do other things. And usually it's somebody who is kind of like a little bit underneath who ends up coming up and running the projects and they still make like these really quality things. Yeah. Right. Like, so it's, it's, they have a culture there, you know, that's, that's that's, such a great, that's that's a great, uh,
0: that's a great point. The culture, the culture of, of building that. And I think when you're working with other people, I mean, when you look at Pixar, it, you know, it's one of the amazing things is that you can bring people together And because what they do with teams, they don't just do it alone. Like there's, you know, I mean, someone might come up with the initial idea or someone might lead it, but they bring in a lot of ideas. And I, and I think that they maximize the idea of great minds coming together. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, we've talked about this in partnerships. We talked about how this works. Like when you have something that actually works, that's an impressive thing in itself. But when you have new people coming in, and on top of that, you also have it consistently done. That's impressive. And I think like Naughty Dog and Pixar are a couple great references to like what it actually means to have a creative team, mm-hmm. which I think on another conversation we should actually get into. I mean, I don't know if I have, yeah I don't know if I have enough insight into that to really comment on the in-depth side of it, but maybe we can get someone as a guest who's actually a part of one of those teams who yeah. can just kind of tell us like, they don't even have to tell us if there's secrets. They don't have to tell us that, but we could just ask them questions about what's it like working on a team? Like, how does it work? Yeah.
1: Know? Yeah. I think, a, I think I'd, I'd, I would love to do something like that. Cause
0: I think that's something that independent writers, we don't, we don't necessarily get to experience. Like I've been on a team yeah. of pilot writers, like, you know, a team of four, we wrote a pilot, which was a great experience. The team really worked well together. Yeah. But, um, you know, it was an independent, uh, project relatively, um, I mean, it wasn't a major network project, just put it that way. Yeah. It was financed or whatever, but it wasn't a major network project. So my experiences has been, I loved it, to be honest. I loved it. It was really, really amazing. I don't know what it's like on a network show. And I don't know what it's like on Pixar, like say Naughty Dog's team. but I would be fascinated to get mm-hmm. some inside scoops because those to me are like the people at the top. Yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, so when that was a good uh, yeah absolutely another little side thing yeah so when will these assholes actually start talking <laughs> about it all right so let's talk Get about <laughs> inside yeah cut to the chase there's a film piece of film lingo there for you yeah um uh so inside out um arguably i would say my favorite pixar movie i would i would hang it up there with wall for me. Wally was good. Because Wally was so good. My other, okay, Up I guess was my, outrageously good I guess too, my top
0: but... three Pixar movies are Inside Out, probably Wally second, and then I would say Up. Yeah. I'd say Inside Out's my favorite though, actually, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I really loved it. Plus, they added in the little thing with a cat at the end, which I thought was fucking yeah.
1: hilarious. <laughs> yes. And we all know, I well, maybe we don't. Yeah. Brendan loves cats. I love cats, everybody. Um, I love cats. So, let's uh let's break this movie down inside out it was an extraordinarily imaginative film we can just get that out of the gate like oh yeah let's tell a story like tell a story about this little girl and at this point in her life and these things are happening and there's all of these emotions that are living inside of her but, and now we personify them, you know, like, we, so
0: let's, yeah, actually, you know what? Let's do a quick synopsis. Cause there might be some listeners, believe it or not, who have not seen inside out. And, and don't even if you ones. haven't,
1: I'm just going to like, we'll do a little rundown, but if you haven't seen it, go and watch it right now. It's on Netflix. Yeah. That shit is on Netflix. So go and watch it and bring a little tissue box with you.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I don't think, I don't think it's a movie that we will ruin by talking about it with you. I think that will maybe give you some insights, which will make you enjoy or allow, or give you kind of an opportunity to enjoy it even more. I don't really see it as a movie that would be ruined. Like if someone, if I heard someone talk about it beforehand, I would still see it and probably fully enjoy it. Yeah. That's just my opinion. But if you haven't seen the movie and you're very like, uh, I don't want to hear about a movie, just go to another episode of the podcast, go watch it, come back to this one later. It's all good. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like, at least we gave you the warning. And if you haven't seen Karate Kid... Get your act together. <laughs> that's yeah.
1: another one we can't really ruin. Totally. Come on. <laughs> it's also on Netflix right now. Yeah, there you go. Um So the the movie is actually centered around joy. Yeah. You can say it's centered around joy, the emotion of joy that's living inside. I, I can't remember the little girl's name. But, um, but
0: the little girl, what the little girl is not she's actually a subplot to the story of what's actually going on inside of her emotions. I mean, yeah, if you look at it from a, from a like higher level, basically like the synopsis of the story, it's about a little girl and her family and they move to a different city and she's all alone and she has to adjust to a new life and a new place and whatever. Yeah. And obviously this brings up a lot of emotions for her and everybody has this um, set of four emotions that are going on inside of them. Even the cats and dogs. and I running. think it's five. Is it five? I think it's five emotions. So there's joy, there's joy, anger, anger, fear, sadness, and disgust. sadness and disgust. Yeah. Okay. So five. So everyone has the five emotions going on with them. And basically these are five characters roaming around inside of you that are essentially running the show, Yeah. which is actually kind of true. I mean, yeah, you know, and, totally. and so basically, um, the subplot in many ways is a, is a little girl. The majority of the story takes place with the emotions and their struggle of, you know, power over this yeah. little girl. And obviously the struggle would be replicated in every human being or every animal in the world.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then there's, um, and there's memories play a big part in the story oh, and yeah. these sort of different worlds that are kind of within them. Um, which I don't, you know, it's like, everything is very sort of like symbolic and everything's very sort of metaphorical, but, um, we can get probably lost in some of those details to a degree. Here's a little I fun mean, note. Do you think Joy is an antihero?
0: Hmm. Think about it. She's like, she is like, but we don't expect it. We're so sided with her. She's kind of an anti because she's really like she crushes sadness and sadness is actually kind of the The solution. uh, Yeah.
1: Yeah. Which
0: is kind of interesting. The
1: weird, like mind bending twist on it all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. It's interesting, right?
1: It's It's an interesting
0: way that they took it because, I mean, it would be like if you watched, um, you watch breaking bad, but you actually believe that being like a drug dealer who murders people was a good thing. And then you started to realize that, Hey, if everybody did this, we'd live in a really bad world.
1: Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it's also, it's, I think it makes a lot of sense though, to a degree that joy is the importance that we place on joy and, right. and like how it's like everything's supposed to be happy and joyful all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how a lot of us operate and it was kind of a commentary on that. There's so many commentaries going on within it. I don't know. I'm sure they must've gone through. I don't, I can't even imagine how many drafts would be interesting to know how many drafts of the script that they, that they went through and before they came up with the final thing. Cause there's a lot going on and, and we had some stuff come out recently too, about like keeping things simple. I don't remember that was a recent podcast that we just. Oh yeah. Had and then on and that me.
0: one's dude, you know, it's an interesting thing about that podcast on our first day of it being launched 20 downloads. I know our highest number of downloads, 20, uh, yeah, 20 on the first day, like within hours it was oh, okay. like people were listening to it and it was downloaded like immediately.
1: Yeah. But, but it's had used, more listens than that though. I think. No,
0: it's had more listens. It's yeah. had like, it's already like getting close to a hundred listens and it's just right. been launched. But what's really interesting is usually we'll get maybe two, one, two, three downloads for something and that will take over a week. Mm. But on the first day that got downloaded 20 times and we had another one get downloaded 20 times like after that, which was really interesting because you have these little episodes that kind of kick it off. Yeah. But I think people should go back and and listen to that one. It's a really good one.
1: Yeah. And it's um, part of why I'm bringing it up is just because like they, I don't think they would have necessarily started off writing the complicated script that they did totally. like you it's got to start simple it's got to start simple yeah. and then all of that stuff starts getting fleshed out later um which is a hard pro- part of the process i think for a lot of writers to trust mm-hmm. and so it's like it's like oh but because yeah of course you want to write this like really intricate you know weaving tale that is full of all kinds of metaphors and, and, and meaning, right? Like hidden meanings and stuff underneath it all. Um, but if you try to do that from the outset, it's probably all going to start coming apart on you and you're not going to tell a really strong, cohesive story. Um, so keeping it, keeping it simple is, is huge.
0: You know, when I think about keeping it simple, I think about it like if you were Uh, and I don't do this, but I've talked with people who do, they carve wood. They maybe carve an image out of wood. And they'll often say that the image was already in the wood. I just had to carve it out. Right. But when you start from that place, you pick the piece of wood. And I think when you keep it simple with story, you got to look at it that way. Pick the piece of wood. I mean, I I don't know uh, because I've never talked to anybody from Pixar, but I would imagine that they took some very simple idea like Everybody wants to be happy in our culture. In our culture, you're always supposed to be good or okay or whatever. And if you're depressed or sad or something, it's bad. Mm -hmm. And it's just looked at that way. So, why don't we make a movie something about that? And I think that, you know, I don't know if it started that way, but it probably started in some respect simple like that, where it's like, let's look at this. And then you start digging into it and carving out something more complicated and special. But I think that that's how you got to start a story. You got to start from a place of, Or they said, you know, I mean, I've had that thought too. Like, what if there are little people like walking around in your head, you know, like controlling everything, pushing levers and shit. I've thought about that. (laughs) Yeah. So what if someone just said, oh, why don't we just go with that? And maybe that was the initial idea. Like little people in your head pushing levers around. Um, And then they came up with a greater theme out of it. Yeah. But I think that you're right. I think it starts from a very simple place and then you dig in, you dig in and it gets more complicated. But It's always based out of a simple core place from the beginning.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's what I think. Totally. And I think Pixar does that. I mean, I think they do that with every movie. If you look at it, there's always some simple core thing.
1: Yeah. That you can, you can explain like quite, quite simply, which is like, you know, you could say for inside out, it's like, um, uh, joy, um, loses control of this little girl's mind and becomes lost and learns how to embrace sadness in order to get back.
0: Hmm. Yeah. That's a good sound. Right. Like
1: that's one way you could, you could break it down basically. Like it's a very simple kind of like, Oh, okay. Like I can follow that. You know, like that's one line of action. Yeah. Um, very simple story. Uh, and then, and then it's all in the details that get filled in later, but that's the core of what's, of what's going on. Um, so let's talk about this in terms of, uh, some structural elements of what's going on. Let's, I like to, I always like to start off with that core, like dramatic structure of dilemma, uh, dilemma crisis decision and action. Kill. Let me, Resolution. let me,
0: let me take this even more simple before we get Okay. Into it. Yeah, please, please. So I always tell people, if you're going to write a story, you're going to write a joke. It's always the same. It never changes no matter what. It's a three things. It's a setup, it's a delivery, and it's a punchline. So how are you going to set it up? How are you going to deliver it? And what's the ultimate point? What's the punchline? Mm. So if you take a knock knock joke, for example, a, any story, just take anything, take Shakespeare, take, doesn't matter it all works the exact same way. There's a setup, you know what you're getting into. There's a delivery style, what genre, which, whatever, you know, Is it comedy, is it tragedy, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a punchline. What's the whole fucking point of this entire thing? Like, why are you doing it? Yeah. And then you answer that at some point, or at least you get close to like pushing yeah. that through. So when I look at this, um, I'll get, let me give an example, just so everyone understands. Knock, knock. Who's there? Setup. Right? That's the setup. Yeah. Boom. Knock knock who's there. You already know. Okay, we're in a knock knock joke. So then who's there? Then I say, now here's my delivery. Boo. Boo-hoo. Don't cry, it's only a joke. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so boo, boo-hoo. This is the this is the, the delivery, right? That says I could say a variation of words in this one point. It could be anything and you don't know what the punchline is going to be until after you participate in it. Yeah. So boo, boo, hoo. Then the punchline is don't cry. It's only a joke. So I, so once you, we all know what a knock knock joke is, or at least now. we do. (laughs) So anyway, that's a show works. So we want to look at what's the setup, what's the delivery, what's the punchline. That's the most basic fundamental way of looking at it. So it's set up with the dilemma, which is what you're saying, the Mm -hmm. girl. She's moved out of her location. Now we can talk about delivery. So, when you use this one, I want to try and break it down from setup, delivery, punchline. So, what's the delivery? What are the elements of
1: delivery? You said it's a dilemma, right? It starts with dilemma? Yeah, so dilemma, crisis, decision, and action, resolution.
0: Decision, so then, decision is the inciting incident, action is the middle of the movie. Crisis is the climax. No, Resolution is the
1: end. So you got a five point, you got a five. Well, point I, right no, down. actually the, cause decision and action is, is one, one component. So it's, it's very broad. So it's like you have, if you think of your, your sort of like your classic sort of like arc of like it goes up and then it comes back down. Okay. So dilemma is right at the point where it starts to go up. See, so there's dilemma. It's yeah. right there. And now we start to move up and then crisis happens actually close to the top. So here's how it's close up. And then decision and action happens at the top
0: decision and action happens at the top.
1: Yeah. Okay. And then, and then resolution. It's an interesting way to look at, at the story. bottom, but like, that's, that is like the, the, the classic, um Plato. Pl- yeah, Platonian right. um dramatic structure, right? Which is like it provides like there's a lot of gaps to fill in between there. Yeah. But it kind of gives you your like your very basic like guideposts, right, to where you're Plato
0: heading. didn't know what he was talking yeah. about. Yeah, what,
1: just a, kidding. <laughs> what, a, what an idiot. <laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> okay. Um
0: so yeah yeah, okay. So the classic Platonian uh Plato Uh, style. Okay. this is good. All right. So I think we can break down, break this down, uh, point by point in a number of ways. So let's, so let's look at it. You want to do the Play-Doh version first or the, or the,
1: well, uh, I, I always like to try and, and point out the dilemma. Okay. So what's the dilemma? So the, what is the dilemma of, of our characters? And so it's like, there's the girl, but there's, it's really more so about joy. Joy is really our, our lead character in this, I would say. Yeah. yeah it's she, mostly she centered around her. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's like, it, it's kind of a weird one because there's, it's, there's like two people that are moving through this whole sort of adventure, but
0: yeah, the little girl is kind of like, and I don't like this term necessarily, but she's a host.
1: Yeah. She's really host, a host. Catalyst. She's
0: like a host or catalyst to the show. I mean, she's not, um, it really, it's on a, on a, on a, on a grander level, it really is about her. But as far as we're concerned with the story on a micro level, we're concerned with joy.
1: Yeah. 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 As an audience, we're mostly, that's who we're following for the most part. So it's, we're going to be talking about joy. So what is her dilemma
0: Hmm.
1: in, in this story? So losing control. So it's, it's the, that sort of phrase of it's completely unacceptable for me to do this, but it's also completely unacceptable for me to do this. So it's that rock and a hard place scenario. Hmm. Okay,
0: rock and okay. So what's her rock and a hard place? Well, once uh, sadness does something with one of the memories, it changes the memory, and then there's a problem. Like they have to leave.
1: Don't they have to? And I would say that that's more kind of like your inciting incident is when is like the first time that isn't that the dilemma that sadness that she touches a memory. Okay. And a a joyful memory becomes sad. Right. So it's unacceptable for that. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to remember how kind of this all unfolds, like where she gets like ejected from the control room for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, because she goes after a memory. They go down, they go down the memory hole or something. Yeah. They get shot through a, through a tube. She goes after, she's trying to like, keep, keep the memory from, from going and she gets sucked out with, um, with sadness Right. So, and then they get spit out into the memory
0: file bank or whatever. Yeah. And that's where the story really starts to end up in trouble. So that probably is for joy. That is the inciting incident. That's the moment where it's like, cause that's an external, it's almost like, okay, well, I've tried to do this thing. And then this thing happened. Like it, it, even the memory getting changed was not as big of a deal as them both getting shot out into this yeah. new world because, um, Joy, when she was in the control room, she controlled. Like she controlled the fucking team, right? She was like kind of the one who was in charge. Yeah. And dominating in a sense, right? Yeah. And um once she got spat out,
1: it's, it's like
0: weird. now you're in a world that you don't control anymore. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's much like the little girl the little girl got moved. She was in control of her probably past environment, at least felt that way. She yeah. Had her friends, her consistency or whatever. Now you're in a new place, a new city, a new whatever. And she's out of control. So there's a lot of parallels going on. With yeah. Joy and the
1: little girl. Oh, totally. And, yeah. and for that whole duration, while joy and sadness are away, like she's kind of going crazy because the, the people that are in control are anger, fear, and disgust. Right in trying to like deal with all of these situations, right? Sounds like uh, a couple of years ago for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. And it's interesting because then in the story like at at the end of it they both get back. They both arrive back into the control room to like be able to affect again, but it's sadness who is first allowed to take control mm. of the situation. She's allowed to like let her be sad for a little while, and then she's able to be happy again, right? It's so good, man. Powerful shit. It's so good. I'm just like getting all emotional thinking about it. I'm <laughs> like, oh my God. Um, so what is Joy's dilemma here? So it's... Okay, so if it's... It's unacceptable for sadness to be, to start like taking over all of the memories, right? Mm-hmm. That could be a potential. So, but what's equally unacceptable to that for joy? This well, maybe it's, one than I thought. maybe
0: it's, um, maybe the dilemma is more like it's unacceptable to let the bad, to, to let this good memory be stored as a sad one, but it's also unacceptable to, like,
1: to control, like,
0: everything. I don't know, something like that.
1: Yeah, okay. Because, yeah, they do. She tries to, like, make Sadness, like, sit in, like, a little circle. She's like, don't, don't leave this spot. Like, you're not allowed to go out anywhere. You know, it's funny about Joy, if you
0: look at it, like, imagine that was, those were people. Yeah. Um, Joy has, like, no empathy. Like, She just, well, she does, but very little, like she has very little Mm. empathy. Like can you imagine if someone came along and said, look, Evan, we don't like what you're doing. You have to go stand in this little spot and you can't move out of it. Like, you know, like Mm -hmm. imagine like that's how the group was treating you. You know what I mean? And like, um, especially if you're a little kid, you know, that would be, that'd be quite cruel. And there's a, there's this kind of like smile that Joy has, but she's really like a control freak. She's really this. Yeah dominating, um, passive aggressive kind of being, which is really interesting because, you know, they uh, like one thing I've learned a lot with screenwriting, especially like now in my career is you always want to play with hubris and humility and characters usually have too much hubris in the beginning, too much, um, arrogance. And then what they need is they need a lesson in humility, which Mm. joy gets. She needs to kind of, like be taken down a notch because she's like on her pedestal. Yeah. Running the show.
1: Yeah. Well, she learns that sadness is actually kind of really important to being joyful.
0: Right. And remember when they get brought down to that dark little cave where they don't know if they'll ever get out like that.
1: Yeah. The forgotten memories.
0: That's like the real humility part for joy. Like she has to really deal with that because like for her, if joy had her way and everything will always stayed the same you know, and this is an important thing to look at it from a story. Like imagine your character had everything stay the same and nothing ever changed in their life. Like if that happened, especially in things like dramas and and comedies, maybe not so much in a horror because like, you know, you die or whatever. Yeah. Like, um, if everything stayed the same, why would that be a problem for this character? How would that actually be harmful to that character? Yeah. So, okay. So let's go back to this dilemma
1: thing um well it's an interesting challenge evan yeah this one has provided more of a challenge than than i thought i know it's there i know it's there somewhere because like every every great story like has some kind of dilemma and i'm wondering if maybe it has to do with when she's booted out of the control room maybe that's where the dilemma is so maybe the dilemma is after they've been spat out into the, um, into the file area. Yeah. So it's unacceptable for her to just leave, well, leave a, her in the control.
0: Like a dilemma doesn't happen until after the inciting incident. So the inc- typically, yeah. Right. So the inciting, well, I mean, it would have to be because
1: inciting a, incident kind of brings up the dilemma. It
0: brings up the dilemma. So once they've been spat out into the file area, that's when the dilemma would occur. So not in the control room, because if you think about it, the control room is they're in control. There's no problem. Everything is normal. Like the way I teach screenwriters is I always say, and and I I don't necessarily like this term I've been, I've been working on changing it, but in timeless, I usually talk to them about what we need to do is we need to create a certain sense of normalcy for your character. I need to know a little bit of how they exist before all shit goes down. Yeah.
1: I know what the dilemma is. Okay. It's, because she can't leave the girl. I think her name's Riley. That's the name of the girl, Riley. She said, she can't leave Riley all to like, like all alone with fear, disgust and anger, but it's equally unacceptable for her to leave sadness down in the whole bank of memories because we've already seen what she can do. She can turn all of these memories like fucking sad right? She, so she, the thing is, that's, that's the, the deal. She can't leave sadness. She's not allowed to leave sadness. Nice. That's what it is. So it's just like, fuck. And sadness <laughs> is a greater risk. Yeah. She believes she to can, be left behind. She, she believes she can
0: handle sadness and it'll take her a short amount of time. And I think this is like many things, you know, we, we go and we do something and we assume that it's going to take less than it will. Like when we started our acting careers, where you start your running (laughs) career, start anything. You're like, Oh, I'm going to show up. I'm going to get an agent. I'm going to be famous. And then that's That's, that's the plan. plan. You know, and like, I mean, I think even if you talk to someone who is uber successful, most of them have some type of strife at some point where it's not as easy as they thought it would be. I mean you know, I've actually been you know, I just want to take a little side note. And mm. I know we've been doing little um side journeys as we go That's through. That's right.
1: I kinda like how this shit happens anyhow. It's yeah. just like this is what it's all for anyhow. Right.
0: right. I I think so too. I think it's good. Um, you know, a couple of people who I've been studying a lot of are uh Marlon Brando, James Dean and uh River Phoenix. Mm. Those are three people who I I find a fascinating curiosity about them, partly because they were uber famous, super young. Um, They were all exceptionally great actors, in my opinion. But what's really interesting about all of them, and a lot of people don't realize this, is that acting wasn't something they loved necessarily. You might argue that James Dean did but Marlon Brando didn't necessarily, and River Phoenix didn't necessarily. Mm-hmm. River Phoenix wanted to be a musician, and if you look at a lot of uh, Marlon Brando, like, he was very dedicated, don't get me wrong, but he was a prankster. Like, today, if you tried to pull the same things Marlo, Marlon Brando did, you'd probably get canned and fired, but he had such a carefree, careless attitude about the whole thing that
1: he didn't even, it wasn't even the most important thing to him. Mm-hmm. Well, There's, I, I read in an article, I think it was, um, it was an interview with Daniel Day-Lewis, but they were talking about Marlon Brando and there, I think the, the, the author of this article had been basically saying that, uh, he thinks that some with like the common thread that like Daniel Day-Lewis and like Marlon Brando share is that because Marlon Brando was, yeah, famous for being like saying that, like he hated this thing, but, hated it out of the intense desire to do it well. Mm. That was part of the reason why he hated it to a degree was just like, there is no room for a false moment. Like, Mm. it's just like, it was that the intense desire for there to be no bullshit going on within the performance that kind of created this weird love hate relationship with it.
0: You know, when I look at Marlon Brando and I've read a lot about him, he's, he's, uh, I mean, say it well, but he's actually kind of an idol of mine, not because, I mean, I think that he had trouble in his life. I I don't think he was perfect by any means, but he fascinates me because he was someone who, I, I, this does relate, but he was someone who, um, he didn't become an actor to be famous and to be recognized. He became an actor because he actually truly liked being someone that could impact other people. Mm -hmm. That was actually what he cared about. The fact that it was acting that was his vehicle was just Mm a vehicle. And what he didn't like from what I understand was that he didn't like that people took that vehicle and made it way more important. What he right. cared about was that you need to make a fucking impact on this person. And if you look at him as a kid and you read anything about his biographies or auto, whatever, you read anything about it, you would find out that he was a big time impressionist when he was a kid. Mm. He, he was always going out. He's always goofing around. He's always trying to get a reaction out of people. Yeah. And so then people go, oh well, he's natural. He's this it's not that he's a natural, he, he is in certain ways, but there's a certain kind of part of him that was just like, I want to make an impact on people. And then of course, like if you become an actor and you live that and you don't care about acting, which he didn't, but you care about impacting people and use that vehicle, of course you're going to be fucking good at it. Cause that's what acting is actually about. It's about making an impact connecting. And, yeah. and he would, the reason, and this is my just opinion, cause I don't know him and I never met him obviously, mm-hmm. but, um, he would look at people and he would respond to what you were doing because that's what mattered to him, which is obviously what acting is fucking about. Yeah. But then if you have these actors like, look at me, look at me, I'm so good, I'm so famous, I'm so pretty. Of course they're not as good as Marlon Brando because it's all about them. But for him, he had insecurities definitely. But if you look at his acting, it was all about what he was like outward
1: vector, outward
0: yeah. thing, and you or know, his, you,
1: or his you know, continual commitment to be that way. Right. You know, because sometimes it's not necessarily always about having that achieved, you know, because it's going it's defying a, a big part of our human nature, which right. is to be self focused. Yeah. Um and and so a lot of I think performance is actually that that push to, to, to get out of your own shit and to have a real experience of something outside of yourself, right well, and so sometimes yeah. like you know like it's not perfect, and you hear about these great actors who have these nights where they basically did like an entire performance that was completely like there was complete abandonment, like they just come and and they strive to to do that again <laughs> <laughs> you know sometimes not successfully, but they for most of the the work that they do there's no sense of. Of sort of self-serving within it. Right? right. Yeah.
0: And I think, you know, I think that's what we're, I think it's not just acting, but it's also with, you know, it's also with writing and it's with things like, uh, you know, it's with writing, it's with filmmaking, it's with acting. It's, I'll take care of it. Don't worry. All right. yeah. Um, so we, yeah, we're trying to put on a light. We got a live audience watching. The us sun's and, gone and down. We have become just shadows of ourselves <laughs> But, uh, um, before I get those lights, I just want to say, um, one thing about, um, James Dean and River Phoenix from what I've learned about those guys, which was a little bit different than Brando is they were very outward and could make an impact and, and, and they were doing that. But one of the things that actually helped them, and I think this is another side of it is that they were very, very sensitive men. Mm-hmm. And that is something that's strangely, um, honored in arts. If men become successful with, you know, with, um, their arts, um, and they're sensitive, it can be looked at and prized. But if you're sensitive and you work like a Joe job, it's not prized. And Mm -hmm. I think this is part of the struggle that we have, you know, as men. And I just look at those three men. They're interesting examples to me because all of them, we're fighting for something other than acting. And that's, and then, you know, arguably some of the most famous young actors, you know, who have ever come to be, but I think it's so interesting that they weren't like, I'm going to be the most famous actor. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like maybe they did want that to some degree, but like it was coming from a much deeper wound. And I, I don't know if it was necessarily healthy the way they went about it, but I think that's an interesting point because I think this whole thing what we're talking about with Inside Out, right. is like, what's on the inside, you know, what's on the inside, what's, mm. what's working. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, if you've got some ideas.
1: Yeah. I mean, no, I mean, I like that kind of little side note as well <laughs> in terms of where we're going. Um, yeah, Go I I'm trying to remember how we got to this place from this conversation. Well, I guess it doesn't necessarily matter. Um, I should have known. I should have known that the lights would have gone out. Yeah. <laughs> should have, you idiot. I didn't
0: think it would get um, that dark so soon. Um, okay. But anyway, so we're diving inside out. We talked about the dilemma. She can't leave yes.
1: sadness. Um, I don't, I don't actually. Remember she needs how, to get, she needs to get, she needs to get back as quickly as possible. She needs to she get can't, back. Right. But she, needs she to get can't back as quickly as possible, but she can't leave sadness on her own to run amok. And it's more important to go after
0: sadness cause she has zero faith in sadness to be able to get back on her own.
1: Yeah. And also that she's going to start touching all of these memories in this huge store right? of them that, that are around. Right. And the, and, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, and it ends up being like kind of this fateful thing that they, they actually had to come back together and ends up being part of the message of the whole, the whole thing of it where it's, this is, it's, it's just kind of blown my mind just because like I'm reading all of this like stuff right now about like, uh, about non-duality, which is like a whole concept of like thought structure, which is that like, we're very much like for most of the world, we're very much in a mind frame of like, it's either this or it is that right. It is this or it is that, or it is this and it is this. Like there's it, we, we have a duality state Mm. in which we think. Um, and then there's this whole non-duality philosophy that's been around for a long time, which is like, they're actually the same thing and they're actually important to each other. Um, and they're inseparable. Right. And learning that is actually a true state of like bliss and joy. Once you get to like the whole thing of it. Right. And it's kind of almost what it's saying, which is like, they can't exist without, without each other. Right. And it's like, sadness, like needs, needs joy. And like, they need each other throughout the whole thing in order for like, it's, it's their sadness is essential to joy. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, so this is a whole new element that I'm just starting to think Wait. about now. It's like, no, it's not just about like letting no. sadness have its place. Like, yes, it's about letting sadness have its place, but they're actually essential to each other being able to be right. Yeah. There's
0: a, uh, that saying, I've said it before in other podcasts, but the brighter the light, the darker the shadow, you know, you need the, you, you, you know, with, without, without shadow, without darkness, light becomes irrelevant. And there's this video Uh, I don't know if we'll be able to find it to share with uh, the, on the blog in this podcast, but it's a Ted talk. And he talks about how shadows actually enhance the the quality of a room and how architects are now playing with light more than ever to design a room because the, it's the, it's the dynamicism of light and dark Mm -hmm. that hit each other, that come together, that light creates shadows and certain types of shadows that actually makes something feel very homey and like, you know, welcoming. If you, if you think about a a really great example they use is like, just think of those offices where it's all lights, just straight down, fluorescent lights, and it's just balanced all the way across this fluorescent light. And this, everything's lit exactly the same. That's what it would be like if we were only light and it's ugly and it's gross, Mm -hmm. but we usually attribute light with, with good. Like we love the sun. But the sun, by the way, casts the biggest shadows of all. If you think about it, yeah. Like the sun, especially on film, you're constantly trying to deal with. Okay, how do we block the shadow? Yeah. Right, because you need to balance it again. But if you think about it, light, lightness and darkness have a lot to do with with um, you know the beauty of life. And I think that mm-hmm. the thing is, joy and sadness are light, light and, light and darkness. Mm-hmm. And we make darkness wrong. We make it bad but it's actually just as good. It's just as good as the light, but it's bad without the light. And the light is bad without the darkness because they actually become destructive. If it's all dark, you can't see anything. If it's all light, it becomes a fluorescent office space. It's, you know, so you, you need both. And this is kind of what the movie is really about. Yeah we don't yeah. have to break it all
1: down i mean we know we can I, no, leave totally. it
0: we can leave people and we can go and yeah. move on to karate kid it's at some point so
1: it's so good yeah. like it's just i want to watch it this is what happened the last time that yeah. we did this i'm like i want to watch these movies again because <laughs> i have new perspective on it because the thing is like it's not like we're watching it as we're talking about it and and discovering this like this is just from how I remember it and actually just piecing these things together which is why I think it's like if you're a filmmaker or an actor or or a writer or something it's like doing this kind of thing like just kind of breaking down a movie especially if you have somebody to talk about it with yeah like you can just find all sorts of great things that are going on within them I think that's why I like having the these breakdown conversations with you. I'm like, Oh shit. I totally didn't realize that even though like I had all the information that I needed to figure that out. But it's like, but once you, you have to kind of really actually explore it a little bit and then you go, Oh, holy shit, man, it's crazy. What's going on in this movie. Like, yeah, it really is crazy. What's going on in that movie. It is. You know what? I think that, um, what I really like about these conversations
0: we have about these movies too. And I'm excited to see what's going to happen with Karate Kid as we get into that. But you bring a new perspective that I don't normally think about in that way. And it's really expanding my capacity to understand story and break down movies. I mean, I don't usually, I don't know, you know what you, I want to always be careful because I teach screenwriting, but I have to be careful to not have hubris around that and arrogance around that. It's like, you know, you can, I could very easily start to be like, Oh, I know it all. I teach people. It's like, that's not good. That's not <laughs> yeah. a good thing. I don't ever want to be there. I don't ever want to feel like, like, Oh, I know better. You know what I mean? And I, and one thing I've been really, really trying to be mindful of is listening and, and really trying to hear everything again for the first time. Um, and I would say that, you know, you're saying like people should have, or they would benefit from having these discussions when you do have them with someone else, break them down and really listen to that other person's perspective. I think it's great. You guys get to listen to us. I mean, you're not getting to talk, obviously, if you're listening to it right now, but like do that in normal conversations, just listen and really try to hear it Mm -hmm. because your perspective of it like already is making me go, you know what? Maybe there's an element where I can sharpen my game here. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? because I do like my goal and I, I don't mean to dominate here, but my goal is to be one of the greatest storytellers of our time. Mm-hmm. I, I really, and I don't know if that will even be possible, but I'm at least doing the mission of it to, to go after it is, is an
1: audacious and exciting goal. Well, you I mean, know? the thing is, is that I, I think of something that, that you've said before is, you know, when you look at like a lot of the, the greats like Marlon Brando, when he won an Oscar, you're like Marlon Brando was already an Oscar winning actor before he won an Oscar. Yes. He was already that. Just like Leo, if if he had never been given an Oscar, everybody knew that he wasn't, he was an Oscar winning actor. Yes. Right. Like whether they actually gave him one or not, because for years we were all like, give this fucking guy an Oscar because (laughs) like, he's amazing. Like he's, this guy's an Oscar actor. like, give it to him already, please. Um, and it's, I think that's the, like with what you're saying too, it's just like, that's something that like, you will, you will just be, you will either, you'll just be one of the greatest storytellers of our time. Mm -hmm. Like whether that's, fully recognized or not. Right. I'll tell you if you are. Oh, thanks. Don't worry. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> no, but, uh, you know, I, I, think,
0: um, I think it's, you know, it's one of those things where you don't ever need to, you know, if it, if it really is about the goal, you don't ever need to be recognized for it. You don't need the other, the world to confirm it because in a way you just the very act of going for something audacious is, is life. You know, it's the, it's the idea of like, even like Muhammad Ali, like if he was never the greatest and he wasn't recognized that way, his, his willingness to go for it was actually what matters. And that's the point we sometimes miss. But if you look at like a movie, and I know we're going to get into this more, but if you look at a movie, whether the character wins or loses is actually quite irrelevant. What actually mattered was if the character went for it, because you might be a little bit frustrated at the end. You might even be disappointed that the character didn't win, but I guarantee Mm -hmm. you will be engaged for the entire journey up until that point, at least, even if you're upset. And and usually if you do it, it's fine. But if you had a movie where the character ultimately got the goal, but the journey sucked the whole way, what movie would you rather see? I'd rather see the movie that had a great journey than the one that just had an ending that like, Yeah.
1: Like a little happy, satisfying ending. Yeah.
0: And this is more like life. So uh, the way I'm, I'm really trying to embrace this, this goal is to look at it as a journey and there's going to be ups and downs and you know, you're going to get obstacles and challenges and moments of doubt, but that's what makes it interesting because if it was just like, I'm going to be the greatest storyteller of all time. And then all of a sudden I was, it's like, what the, what, what, why is that any good? You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, that that would be the same as like, I'm going to go down the street and grab a muffin today. You know, it's like, it's probably going to happen. Yeah. Know? It's not really a big deal. You know, there's gonna, like, like the law, lo- the hardest difficulty thing is leaving my house and walking two blocks. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> So, um, anyway,
1: uh, why don't you tell us about this beer? Cause I'm almost done. Oh yeah. <laughs> I think there's <laughs> a tiny little splash left in here. Oh, I'll take um, it. So I'll just, here, let me just take that thing off so I can talk about it. Sure. Oh, well, what do you think of it first? I guess we go to do that. First. I
0: really like it. It's uh, let me take another sip of it. Yeah, I really like it. It's, um, it's got a great flavor to it. It's light. It's easy to drink. I feel like this is one of those beers where I could drink a lot of and I would, all of a sudden be really drunk and I'd be like, I got to stop drinking beer. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really, a quality beer. I, one, one of my tops definitely. Oh, wow. All yeah. right.
1: Um, well this is from, I, I don't know how this is actually pronounced, but, um, this is from Daggerad. 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 I Dagorad? think that you've actually brought them on once before. Oh, really? Um, they're out in Burnaby. Um, really yeah just like out in the middle of like a weird like industrial area um tiny tiny little tasting room uh they've only got four different beers there and only two of them are available for growler fills i don't think we've Um, had them to be honest i feel like we have man i feel like you brought them on once um but maybe not Um, well either way they this is an awesome beer yeah there uh the other one they had available is called the Burnabar, the Burnabarian. Okay. Um and I went with this one cuz we'll have to look into this to see if we did because I was like I'm pretty sure that Brandon got this one the last time we had theirs. I swear to god you got one from them. It's not by Marine Drive, is it? No. No, right. it's not. It's it's out in it's like way out in Burnaby like I really don't think like I, I did. Maybe not. I don't then where the hell did I try this from? Yeah, I you might've tried it before. I don't um, think it
0: was on the podcast, but,
1: but anyhow, uh, they're a, uh, they do Belgian style beers over there. And this is a Belgian pale ale. Oh, nice. Um, 6%. It's so like we've got a little ingredients thing on the tag here, malted barley, wheat, hops, yeast, water, that's beer. All right. <laughs> <That's> beer. Well, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's great. It's, um, yeah, like I said, it's like a 6%. So it's a little bit, it's, it's got a little heft to it, but it's really easy to drink. It's really tasty
0: and it goes down really nicely. Like it's, it's, um, kind of, uh, one of those beers where like, you know, you, you, you know, I think sometimes when you have, um, uh, certain beers that have like a lot of flavor to them, there, it's harder to have more of them, but this one has gone down so quick. I mean, we're not even done the podcast. We're having a second movie and I'm going to be done already. Yeah, Like it's just, that gives you kind of an idea of the pace at which I've been finding it easy to drink and Mm -hmm. enjoyable. I haven't even noticed almost, but I've been enjoying it, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, let's, let's move on from, uh, from inside out. I think, okay. I think we did a good little touch. I want to, yeah. we said, we talked about the karate kid and we're, and I
1: think that pretty much like the, the crisis of that was pretty much like the crisis is just, I just want to get into a little like this quickly. Okay, Let's sure. just cover this quickly. So the crisis in, in the film, she's going to run away. Right. At the end, like Riley's about right. to run away. Right. Um, uh, and she stops. And then she finally tells, the decision in action is, I think, Joy letting letting Sadness take control. Hmm. That was the decision in the action. Is that like, she's completely coming apart at the seams. Her parents are freaking out. They don't know where she is. She comes home. Joy and Sadness get back and joy instead of wanting to shove off because this is kind of her evolution through all of this instead of wanting to shove off sadness and like you don't get to have control anymore she actually says go right hmm. and sadness gets to press the button hmm. and she's able to kind of spill this stuff out oh and then and then they actually both press the button i think at the end after sadness has had her her chance then joy comes is comes back in with sadness and hits the button again mm. yeah that's great and it kind of communicates the theme of the whole thing about like well, must, joy and sadness and we had a podcast come out and
0: and by the way the simplicity one that we referred to earlier is episode 66 for those who want, or maybe 65 have we released that many yeah we released 65 it's 65 Wow. 66 is our newest one. All right. Um, and, uh, there's one that's just a few before that it's probably 63 or 62 or maybe 64, but it's right around there. Yeah. And it's about engaging with depression and I actually share mm. some of my personal stuff about dealing with that even myself. Um, but, um, and, and episode a hundred also, we had Owen on and Owen shared a bit about his depression experience. Yeah. And I think that depression is, is something that, um, it's something we, we constantly try to hide and put under the rug and, and just deny it's there. And you keep doing that and there's negative effects for that. And that's why I think that we hit these points where we have, you know, points where we break down or points where we just give up on our dreams. Because if you, if you keep pushing sadness down, if you keep pushing all that stuff down, it, is just as important as all the other feel good. And and eventually depression is a product of you can't really feel good anymore. Well, you like,
1: have to feel sad. You well, like, I think it's, you know, I think that's also why I think I, I just I've got to watch inside out again. Yeah. Now because I'm like, "Oh my god, like I didn't even think about like yes, like you get coverage of oh, man, it's these guys left with her when they're away. Right? But it's like when you're at a point cuz that's totally like a depression can't feel, can't even feel happy, can't even feel sad, and what's left is anger, fear, and disgust. Right, right, and you're just Whoa. in this place, right? And it's just like, and that's how you're dealing with shit. Is is that way? So it's like, yeah, isn't it really interesting? Like that's Man. a whole level to it that I didn't even think of. It's just like, yeah, like while while you you can't feel joy or sadness. This is what Holy shit, it's just right? like it. You know, you know
0: what's interesting is that Pixar had a really deep understanding of psychology with that. You know, I actually um I don't know if everybody knows this on the podcast, but I switched from film school into psychology. That's what I did in university. Yeah. And it was one of the best decisions I ever made because understanding psychology especially like without needing to be a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but to do it because I had pure interest and I felt it would help my acting and film and writing. It was the best decision I ever made. I think all film students should just, you know, whatever, keep doing your film studies, maybe whatever. Who gives a shit about that? That's easy. You're going to do that anyway, but go study some psychology. Go, go start understanding how you work. Go start Mm -hmm. understanding how people work. And like, I think that's the, that's what makes this movie special is that when you look at it from those places, you go, that's really like at the deeper level, that's what it means, you mm-hmm. know? And I think that like, there's a certain part of you that you can enjoy it from a certain point of like just entertainment, like it's an entertaining movie. But I think if you get these deeper meanings, that's why you have this urge to like, I got to watch it again because you're like, there's so many things that I, 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 wasn't even aware of at the time. And like, I think if I watch it again and I will, when I watch it again, I'm going to see stuff I wasn't, wasn't even able to see. Mm-hmm. Cause this is like life experience. And, and that's what yeah. kind of the great thing about having these discussions is you have these discussions and the movie becomes new again, yeah. which is
1: kind of cool. Right. Totally. Yeah. So okay. speaking of making a movie new again, karate kid, karate kid, <laughs> the original. Yeah. So, uh, okay. Mr. Miyagi and Daniel LaRusso. <laughs> and I just want to say this, this, this had struck me earlier is that as a kid, watching the Karate Kid, I think that it was probably one of those movies that I saw early on in my life that was actually very influential to me wanting to be an actor. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Because it's like, you know, Daniel LaRusso, that character, this kid, you know, like, he was so real to me. Hmm you know, like, and, and, you know, I'm not going to say that it was necessarily the most brilliant performance. I think that he gave a very, very strong performance and beyond what you would think in a film like that. Yeah. Right. Like I think he did a tremendous job, like as a young actor, I agree playing a kid who's struggling again to move, (laughs) move to a new place. Yeah. How about it? Um, parallel. Yeah, totally. (laughs) I didn't even think about that. Um, but it was just like, there was something so real to me about, about this kid, you know, going through this, right. Even though I knew it was a movie. (laughs) So anyhow, let's talk about the karate kid. Well, so in the, in the
0: beginning of the movie, he's moving almost immediately. Yeah. And he normalizes in this new town. I mean, so the, the moving to a new place wasn't really, but it, but it starts off very much the same as, um, inside out is that you were moving to a new place and there's obviously some discomfort brought up. I I've looked at this movie, I've actually broken it down with um, some other people before. And um I think the inciting incident is when Mr. Miyagi signs him up for the tournament to face his his um his bullies.
1: Hmm.
0: Because if you think about it, everything up until then he, you know, he's just trying to make peace and trying to like, whatever, like just get by. And Mr. Miyagi says, I'll handle it. He goes, okay, good. You'll handle it. And Mr. Miyagi goes in, he goes, my fighter is going to fight your fighter in the tournament and you can't bother him until that fight. Mm. And everyone agrees. So he gets the bullies off his back until they fight in the tournament. And then, and then Russo is yeah. like, uh, y- you signed me up. He's like, what the what the hell he's like yeah. you can't do that i can't fight these guys and then miss miragi goes on the whole training thing after
1: that yeah and then it's because that presents itself quite a ways into the movie oh well, it's 30 or I 40 think. minutes is it 30 yep. or only i feel like it's like that happens but like that happens way later. that happened in other movies it, like
0: the inciting incident didn't happen until about 40 45 minutes but in yeah. early, in movies today it happens at the 25th minute so it's just changing times we, yeah. it's like we're more ad setting now. things up because like you
1: see <laughs> Through the early parts, you see Daniel trying to adjust, and he's getting picked on. And there's this girl and and stuff, and um, he meets Mister Miyagi. He knows that he's like he does karate and stuff like that, and yeah. and uh, and yeah. But I think you're right because he does. He sets this thing, out. and so now we're presented with the dilemma, right. which is that he can't he, fight he, the kid. He can't <laughs> fight the kid because he's got his the shit kicked out of him so many times and like he's been training for how long with this crazy freaking dude yeah. like the most crazy like militant type of like the band. sensei yeah. that you can imagine but it's unacceptable for him to like it's unacceptable for him to back away but it's kind of unacceptable at the same time to enter into this fight right like the odds are against him mm-hmm
0: yeah. So that's the dilemma. And then, uh, so then, so let's take us through the process that you use. We'll do that again. The Plato version. Okay. So that's the dilemma. That's so the it's dilemma. equally unacceptable. Okay. So then decision and action is the next,
1: or? uh, crisis crisis. So so there's crisis. crisis that, that would like, that's usually close to your, the height of, of the story. Okay. So the crisis is that I think mean, he, he's been, he took a, um, like an illegal blow from one of the other guys at the tournament I would say interesting right like he's in the tournament he's doing well oh, yeah, and he hurt his knee right? and then yeah like the kid does like an illegal strike on him or something he said sweep the leg right. or whatever it is and sweep like the leg yeah sweep the leg and he takes it and he's like well you disqualified the, the crane kick comes yeah down. and then he's like so he's injured and he's fighting his nemesis right Right. So then his legs out, like he's, he's not in so optimal condition. So
0: decision and action is to overcome the injury. Right. And then the action is to face your demons, regardless of any setbacks or don't make no excuses. Yeah. Essentially good lesson for life. Mhm. And then Uh, what's the final one? Decision and action is the final decision
1: and action. Yeah. And then resolution
0: and then resolution, which Which is is, basically he knocks the kid out with the crane kick.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It takes him out with this weird, this weird thing that looks very, and it's interesting because that crane kick, like the position, it looks very, very weak. Like you're on one leg, like you're in your arms are out to your side, right? Like you look completely defenseless, right? Right. It's like, and it's the thing that ends up winning him the match right and interestingly enough the kid who's been giving him this shit all of this time at the end of it he hands him the trophy Mm. and says something to him like like, you, like, like, you deserve this, or something like that. Like, you deserve it, LaRusso, or something like that, right? Like, his, like, and it shows some depth to, like, his, his enemy as well. Which was something that always struck out, struck out, stuck out to me when I watched it as a kid as well, of this guy who was actually not necessarily such a bad guy at know. the end of it. Like, he wasn't a complete piece of shit at well, the end of it. Yeah. You know, it's
0: interesting. Like, so we can take this further, like lessons about this, um, about this movie
1: thematically. Like, yes.
0: So, you know, I was bullied when I was in high school and I, I actually have thought a lot about this. Cause I, I, I tell people that and a lot of people say you were bullied in high school. Like they don't believe it. Right. They're like, really? And it's a surprise to people today.
1: Yeah. I remember the first time you told me that, and yeah. that surprised me because you don't strike me as a person who would, you know, be bullied, would have been bullied in their life. So that's, it's
0: an interesting comment. Every, you know, I just was literally talking to someone about this last week and they were like, same response. They were like, you were bullied? Like, no way. Like, and the thing is, is like, that's a testament to how much I've built myself since I was a kid. But I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, well, why was I bullied? Like, like, you know, I used to look at being bullied as a, being a victim. I don't anymore. I actually look at it as how did I attract people to want to bully me? Like how did I actually mm-hmm. call that upon myself? I mean, I, I think that kids are—they're taught how to defend themselves. They're taught how to like, oh, you know, fight your bully. But the thing is, is that we don't actually realize how are you attracting a bully to actually come attract, like to come and bully you? Like you have to be think. Yeah, think about it. When a bully, someone who's a bully, right? they're going to target certain people for certain reasons. Number one, you look like the weakest that might be, or you look weaker than them. Mm -hmm. That's a reason why they can go to bully you. So like when I became, after I, after I went through high school, because I was bullied a lot through high school, after high school, I started developing a bit of a tough act. You know, I I started wearing a leather jacket. I started walking around with a bit of a chip on my shoulder, uh, you know, and I, and I had a little bit of anger and that kind of was defense to me because, you know, basically I, I was wearing like a biker, you know, I was wearing around, even though I wasn't like a big kid, I was wearing around a a certain kind of like, don't fuck with me. You'll get fucked with more. You know what I mean? And people didn't. But in a sense, I had a one time I had a casting director say to me or a director, they said, you know, brilliant actor, but you're like, you're like a pit bull or something. You're like a dog. That's like, I'm like, I don't know if you're going to bite me. Like, like you, like, you know, there's something going on. Right. And it was intimidating people. Mm. So on on one sense, it was protecting me from people who might potentially bully me, but at the same time, it was scaring people who wanted to be my friend and wanted to work with me. Mm. So I had to try to kind of count, you know, they say you overswing the band, right? So I overswing and I try to find my balance. Um, but what I learned, what I've learned through the process is that you attract certain things in your life. And I was looking at how did I attract the bully? And what I realized was that, I took everything way too serious when I was younger. So if someone called me an insult, I took it personally, Mm. which is actually another step forward for a bully to actually come at you. You know that if you laugh it off, you'll find that people tend to not be as aggressive. So what I've learned to do is like when people laugh at me, I go, you know, I just laugh, like i not even at them or whatever. A lot of the time I'll be like, I'll be like, you know, uh, someone will say like, Oh, you're, you're like, someone came on even the live pod broadcast and they're like, Oh, your skin's so white. You know, you like a ghost. I'm like, you know what I am. I need to get a tan. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it was just like, whatever roll with it. Yeah. Because once you diffuse their attack, now they can try to amp it up. But now like, if you just keep diffusing it, there's nothing to get out of it. Yeah. Right. Cause a bully in and a humor is
1: years, a terrific way to do that.
0: Right. So what I learned was that, um, in, in my, my, lack of awareness was just that don't take don't take bullying personally don't don't take it personally first of all and find find what's funny about it because if you can laugh at what they're laughing at and it doesn't bother you it's the best disarmament ever comedians use it all the time like you'll see these comedians going they'll be totally bald They'll be like so I lost all my hair you know, when you're like, now that's out in the open, right? You can't like go, that guy's bald because he's already okay with it. Or he's like, you know, I, he's like, I'm always too short for women. Or like, or she's like, I got a big fat ass. You know what I mean? But they kind of like bring it out to the forefront. Now they're at peace with it. You can't make fun of it anymore. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I think like when you look at, um, karate kid, it's a very classical way to look at a bully, but, um, in the end, what did he do? He stood up to the bully. He faced his bully And it was kind of like win or lose. He kind of got to the point where he didn't make excuses. Like if you look at his struggle throughout the whole thing, he was entitled not to be bullied. Now, I know that sounds crazy. I was entitled when I was a kid not to be bullied, but you're never entitled to anything. You you know, if you if you walk around with uh, a weakness, the world will toughen you up. It's just the way the world works. Mm. It's not actually the bully that's the problem. The problem is is that you're walking around with entitlement. So, I look at it this way. When I was bullied, it wasn't the bully's fault. It was my fault. I was walking around with an entitlement that I should just be able to walk around, be how I want to be, do what I want to do and it has no effect on the rest of the world. Unfortunately, it does have effect on the rest of the world. Now, I'm not saying that what the bully did was good, and I'm not saying that Every, everyone else is, is got their shit together. They don't. But if you're gay, for example, and you mm-hmm. walk around, I'm not, but if you walk around and you're gay and you're very feminine in a high school, that might make your school super uncomfortable because the kids aren't okay with that. And their parents aren't okay with that. You know, I got more bullied by my, a lot of time by my um, soccer team's parents than I ever did by the kids. Like they bullied my, I know. So, so when I was, uh, so just let me share this. Cause I think this is important
1: because yeah. you didn't see that. I, I made a face there that made, yeah. that made, <laughs> made a that made Brandon react to that. i like, I know. I'm just like, Surprising. you know what? It's like, no, it's just a face. I was making a face. So,
0: um, <laughs> so, uh, for those of you who don't know my story, my parents married out of high school. They were just a couple kids they got together. By the time they turned about 30 or so, they became self-made millionaires. They built their own fortune just after 30. They built it all themselves. No one handed them anything. They did it themselves. Then when they had me about the time they were 30, then about the time that I was 14, so about 14, 15 years later, they lost everything. So we went from being like living in a mansion to living in a trailer park. And then we lived for the next several years in struggle, trying to figure out how to get our lives back together. My parents both in their own ways, rebuilt their fortune separately because they'd split after that point. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've I've seen riches to rags. I've seen that life experience back to somewhat of wealth, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, one of the things that I was targeted as a lot when I was between like about 10 and 14 was people used to walk around school, they call me rich kid. They'd be like, oh, it's so easy for your parents pay for everything. Just they target you about anything, anything you have. You think that, oh, now I have money. Everything's good. Now I'm broke. Like broke's the problem. No, broke's not the problem. It doesn't matter. You can, you can have anything And people can target you about that. Yeah, Like you could, you know, people think like I used to believe when I was younger, Oh, if I just win awards and get recognition, I'll be good. People will be like, no, you want it's bullshit. People will say all sorts of things to tear down good things in your life. Mm. So bullying is not the problem. The problem is, is that you feel entitled to avoid bullying. So here is the biggest problem for me as an actor. And I I just feel this is really important to share because I'm sure there's actors listening on the other end of it the more famous you become, I guarantee absolutely 100% you can put my stamp and my name on it, that the more famous you are, the more you're known, the more you're in the public, the more bullying you will get, the more hate you will get, the more shit you will have to take. So do not think that getting famous or making more friends or making more money is ever going to help you. It really won't. It's actually going to make whatever you're going. So what I had to learn to do in my life journey and my life struggle was to embrace being in the public eye and taking whatever shit people threw at me and being okay with that. So now I live broadcast. We do this podcast. I have a semi-successful writing career about to have a more successful film career. And hopefully you know, with the acting, you know, I can push on that too. It's a lot of fucking jobs, but I'm doing it, you know, but the more I put myself in the limelight, I've just gone to a point where it's like, you cannot bully me anymore because you can't tear me down. I, I like I've gone through the shit. I faced it. You know what I mean? And so what I want to say to our listening audience is that you guys got to go through, go through your life and just understand that bullying is a part of life. Nobody's entitled not to experience it but what you have to do is learn better management tools of dealing with the world and not be entitled to how you think you should be treated. And the thing Mm -hmm. is, is that I'm not saying the bullies are good. I'm not saying that people who are haters or trolls or whatever are doing good things. They're not, but what they're actually helping you do is to not be so entitled in a way they're a gift. Everybody's a gift. And like, when I look at karate kid, it's like, it's an interesting movie because I think like it deals with bullying, but if you look at his struggle, his hubris is that he's entitled to not be bullied. His humility is I'm going to figure out how to live up to a level where I can survive in the world that I'm in, which he does. Yeah. And then he earns the respect of his arch nemesis. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's, and that's what you have to do in life. I mean, if we lived in Sparta in Spartan, Spartan times, we would have to figure that shit out as men. We would, it's just, otherwise you're going to get tossed aside or killed. It's just going to happen. Mm-hmm. And this is the world we live in. Now it's not perfect. We have Trump as the president. Say what you will <laughs> about that. He wants to build a wall. That's not going to stop shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the thing is, is that we live in this world, just deal with it as it is. You, you don't get to make reality different because you don't like it. Right. And I think the thing about, um, karate kid is that, the real problem in this movie, in my opinion, is that our main character is not willing to accept reality as it is. And that's why he's complaining and whining and kind of whatever. But we can all relate to that struggle. That's the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. It's like we all are kind of there. And I think that's a deeper um, analysis of it. I don't think most people are going to analyze it that way. But if you really look at it, that's the real problem. He needs to accept the world that he's in and not be a victim of it. And he needs to go and go, okay, what if I'm going to live in this world? Cause this is the world I found myself in. How am I going to rise to the occasion? That's simply it. Mm-hmm. Now, other than that, everything else is bullshit
1: without completely losing the person that he is, sure. you know, because- and
0: that's the challenge of life, right? Is not to fall too, not to swing the bat, I don't mean to cut you off, but not to swing the bat too much to become a bully yourself. Yeah. But then not to be so justified in your own way that you're entitled that you can be this sensitive kid because he's a sensitive kid, but he lives in an environment where all the other guys are not sensitive
1: like that. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. They're brought up in a very like, you know, and you get a glimpse at what's going on with the guys who've been bullying him. Right. You know, well, like they've the kind been of bullied. In, yeah, they've been bullied themselves by this crazy, this crazy sensei of theirs, right? Exactly. That and the thing is, is the bully was the sensei.
0: the real The real issue is the sensei that's bullying all the kids.
1: Yeah. And then if there was a story that continued off of that, there exactly. was like someone who bullied you him, you know, bullied him and bullied him, and, bullied, and he's like, it just keeps on going on. You know, it's that whole that whole S- karmic cycle of shit, so, right? So
0: here's the lesson, I think, in a I feel like I'm kind of going on a thing because I just shared my story. But if you look at the sensei, sensei was probably bullied. Maybe he's bullied by his dad. Maybe he's bullied by someone, but he gave, it's like the, it's like star Wars, like the dark side, the light side, he gave into the dark side of it and became a bully himself. Mm -hmm. And I think this is the thing that we need to transcend. and, And I know the movie doesn't really say this, but in many ways, any movie like this, I think kind of says this It's like, we need to transcend our Aggressive environments, but not become aggressive ourselves. And, and that's that is the real challenge, right? Because if you look at um, what's his name, the kid in the movie, Daniel. Daniel, yeah, if Daniel becomes a bully himself, we've all lost. yeah but Dan, Daniel meets the challenge but doesn't become a bully. That's the real win of that entire movie mm-hmm. in my opinion. Because if he became a bully and he started bullying the next kid. Think about it. how how would we appreciate that movie? We wouldn't, right? Yeah. The fact that he maintains his sensitive, good nature, but also rises to the occasion—that's the beauty of the journey.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, and he learns a kind of humility as well from from Mr. Miyagi, right? Who also has his own struggles. I mean, there's the scene where he comes and he's getting drunk because he's he's mourning the the loss of his wife, right? like, cause he's widowed, right? Like you see him that, that scenery comes in, Daniel brings him a cake or something like that. (laughs) Right. And yeah, it's like Mr. Miyagi's got his own sort of like, like painful past, right? It's good. It's you know, it's,
0: it's, it's actually, um, there's, you know, that's the other thing too, is like, I think the karate kid is like, you know, people have heard about it so much and they don't think much about it, but if you really look at the elements of that, it's actually quite well worked out.
1: It's, it's an extraordinary tale. It's, it's almost like a modern day. I'll say modern day, but it is in the grand scheme of humanity. (laughs) It's a, it's, um, it's almost like a modern day Greek fable of some kind, you know, like the, the whole structure of it, the, you know, being you know, ripped out of your roots and, and facing adversity and a mentor and overcoming adversity and, and learning something of humility. You know, it's a real hero's journey. It really is a hero's journey. Like absolutely a hero's journey
0: that you watch. And
1: it's a classic story, man, that (laughs) we just never get sick of
0: watching. No, it is classic. And if you look at, uh, I want to take further, because I mean, maybe some people disagree with with the Daniel being judgmental and entitled, but look at him, look at how much he judges Miyagi in the beginning and kind of just thinks he's this stupid old man that like, you know, the way he treats him and talks to him and, and how the kids like talks to his mom. I don't know if you remember, I watched it like uh, a year or so ago again. And, uh, and this, the way Daniel is to people he's a kind of a little bit of an arrogant little prick in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And he needs, he needs a little bit of like, kind of like an awakening, like, uh, like, Hey, like you're a pretty entitled little kid. You're not really treating your mom and you're not really treating like your elders with the utmost respect, you know? And that's part of, that's part of the humility of his, of his character. Now I think like, you know, I don't think
1: everybody yeah. gets those lessons, but and, he also learns like another, like, I think probably one of the biggest things in, in the humility that he learns was at the end of everything after, you know, wax the car, paint the fence, sand the floor. I think those were the three things he had to do. Right. right. And he's just like, he's flipping out. He's like, it's like, what is this? You know, you're like, like I paint your fence and, you know, I sand your floor. And yeah. he's like flipping out. And then And then Mr. Miyagi like says to him at the end, he's like, he's like, show me sand the floor. Hmm. Right. And then like, and then he shows him at the end and he realizes what he's just learned. Hmm. And he's just like, like, he's just totally blown away. Like standing there realizing what it was that just happened. And Hmm. it's like this incredible life lesson of you don't know what everything is for. Yeah. you don't know what this pain and this ang what these motions are for sometimes but it's it was an incredibly important skill that you were learning during that whole process right totally yeah oh my, that's god. Such a I huge, watch, oh my god I want to watch it again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's such a huge lesson for life I mean you don't know what you're learning you you know in everything Everything contributes to your ultimate success. You know, and what, like, and you just don't know, like, you don't know, like you could be working as a carpenter and you're like, I want to be, uh, you know, I want to be an actor and you don't realize how carpentry and acting are, are parallel and the same, or, you know, you want to be a filmmaker and you're working as a janitor. You, you know, I think one of the lessons I'm taking from this talk, actually, if we're going to wrap it up is there's parallels in everything. Mm-hmm. And if you can see how working at McDonald's is helping you to be a better actor or a better writer or, or, or filmmaker or painter, if you can see the parallels, you have won at life. And I, and I, and I know that some people might be thinking, well, that's just the reach. It isn't a reach. You know, um, if I was a janitor, how could I parallel that to my filmmaking career? Well, as a janitor, I could pay attention to detail that other people don't see. You know, when I sold shoes for a little while, um, I know the details of shoes that most people will never even see. I, 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 looked and observed and, and, you know, you have a lot of time working at a shoe store, but I started to understand the materials shoes were made with the stitching that was done, the certain styles, the fits, the brands I, I learned. Mm-hmm. And so I have an attention to detail about that stuff. You, you don't think that parallels into film. Of course that parallels in the film. You know, when you're looking for details about your shot and when you're looking to details about, um, anything, wardrobe, whatever, it doesn't matter. All this stuff parallels. There's always a way, you know, as a janitor, um, you could learn all sorts of things, but I think we take things and we think we need to learn so literally, you know, and I I would argue that film school isn't going to teach you how to make a film. You know, life is going to teach you how to make a film. Mm -hmm. I would argue it's just the same as acting. Oh yeah. And that's why I would say like film school is really good to learn a few little technical skills, but for the most part, if they're only teaching you technical skills, it's not worth that much. But if they're teaching you how to look inside yourself, it's invaluable. There's no, there's no price you can put on that. But the problem I think with a lot of education systems is they're, they're teaching you too literally. Life Mm -hmm. just is not literal. It's just, It's not. I mean, like you could be in a, in a relationship and somehow you realize how something you learned in school is, is parallel to helping you with this relationship. You know, one thing, like I remember when I had a parallel with math because we used to do problem solving in math class. Yeah. And I remember people going, well, why are we learning this? This doesn't make any sense. And I remember like thinking, I remember I had a, uh, a realization that I was a really good problem solver. And then I was like, fuck math is awesome. Cause math teaches me and it gives me a practice I can do over and over and over again about sharpening my problem solving skill. Mm. You know, that filmmaking is probably 95% problem solving on the independent level. So math and problem solving and, and filmmaking are pretty fucking synonymous with yeah. each other in a weird way. And you think if you can't make the parallel, you've just closed off a whole facet of your life. So what I would say, my final note about all of this as we take these movies on is look at these movies and see how they parallel to your life. See how your life parallels to what's most important to you and just see how everything's very connected. It's not separate as you may think. And you brought that up earlier. You're reading a lot about that, about duality and oneness, you know, see everything in its connectedness. Quit looking at everything. So separate. Yeah. That's what I would say. Yeah.
1: What do you got? (laughs) Jeez. Um, (laughs) what have I got? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I have necessarily, like, it's just been fun talking about these films and discovering their thematic elements. And, and again, like, I, I think I, to a large degree, I just want to encourage people, especially like whether you're an artist or not, like if you're just maybe somebody who likes listening to us gap at each other about the shit, I don't know, maybe you are. Um, but I mean, film is one of like the the biggest ways that we engage with with art we don't often look at it that way you know because of the nature of of the industry of it all and and the commodity of of it but it is it is at its root an art form and there are people who even in you know a lot of the big blockbusters that going to they're they're trying to inject some some piece of thematic element to it, some kind of art into it. Um, and yeah, I would encourage you to like, try and engage with your friends or what, or whoever into what do you think was all going on Mm -hmm. within these stories, you know, beyond just like, Oh, I liked it. I didn't like it. Blah, blah, blah. It's (laughs) like, okay, well, why was that? You know, like, what do you think was being said? Like, Like, like try and see some of the elements that were going on, some of the stuff that we've been talking about, you know, just some of the basic elements and see how that starts to unfold, uh, some things in, in your life. And, and yeah, and I think that I'll, I'll leave it off with this, with this whole thing of, um, well, what did we learn from each of these films? You know, like with Inside Out, I think that, you know, I, I've learned things from it just, from my initial watch, but, um, now it's, I think after this conversation, I've, I've gone to a deeper level with what it's, you know, some of the ideas it's communicating and, and so it's like, you know, joy and, and, and sorrow are, are inseparable, you know, they need each other, you know, and there's, there's something very profound about that. I'm not exactly sure what it is. Like (laughs) this stuff that, as you mentioned, like of, of non-duality of things being like this, this is a brand new concept for me, but I'm starting to see, I'm starting to see how that's actually kind of the case with, with everything. Um, and then with Karate Kid, (laughs) with the Karate Kid, you know, you don't know what everything is for. And and, uh, and what everything is there to to teach you. Hmm. And it might feel awful and horrible and you might fight against it, but it's, it ultimately is there to help you evolve in, in some kind of way.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I didn't wrap up my movies, but I agree with what you said. And, and those were probably what I would have said. Um, but now I'm trying to like come up <laughs> with something as well. Sorry, I don't
1: know. I was just like, no, no, well, no, we're no, wrapping
0: it up. I'll just, no, I don't apologize. It's, it's great. Cause I feel that needed to be said. Um, but it gave me an opportunity actually to think of something that I, uh, that's even deeper, um, for me at least, which was that friction. If you look at the karate kid, wax on, wax off, uh, you know, the floors, everything, painting, it all involves friction. And if you don't do something over and over again with friction, you don't gain the strength with it. If you just do it without nothing, without any friction, it's relatively easy. It doesn't build strength. But because, you know, to wax a car, to push against it or to paint, it's tiring. There's a certain muscle that's Mm -hmm. being built. And I think that one thing that I'm taking away from Karate Kid in this moment is, we need a certain amount of friction. Even his bullies gave him a certain amount of friction. That friction makes you stronger. And I don't think we should look at friction as bad. We should look at it as something that we, we learn to um, deal with. We learn to embrace as a part of our life. There is going to be friction. There's going to be things that slow you down, make it hard, that take muscle building to accomplish. And also to further that, sometimes it takes a certain amount of persistency. You must need, you need to go and, and do a lot of it to build the type of strength you need. Because had he not done a lot of waxing, a lot of painting, a lot of, you know, all of this, he would not have built the strength to be able to compete at the end. Mm -hmm. And this is much like life. You know, we, we imagine ourselves winning the tournament or winning the award or winning the prize or winning the Oscar, whatever it might be understand that if you really want that trophy at the end, if you want to meet whatever that will be, that challenge, it's going to take you facing a lot of friction now, persistently, yeah. consistently, and for a while. So embrace that. That's what I take from Karate Kid. It's really, I'm really looking at it that way and I'm paralleling it to my life and I'm going, yeah, it's so much about that. With uh, in Inside Out, I would say that, you know, you, you, you said like, you you know, sadness and joy and need each other. Um, I, I would say that like, You know, if you're feeling a certain way, it's usually counterintuitive to get out of it. So if you're feeling really sad, instead of trying to feel happy, go towards sadness. If you're feeling really happy, it's maybe easier to go towards happiness. But understand that the more you go towards happiness, the sooner happiness will probably end because it's once you embrace an emotion, it gets completed. And once it gets completed, it doesn't need to be fulfilled anymore. So you're going to find another, it'll get boring. Yeah. So, um, in a weird way, sustaining happiness is about embracing sadness. It's further on what you said, but if you think about it, gratitude is so important because if you're grateful. You often recognize how things could be. Like if things are really good, you often recognize how they could be worse. Mm-hmm. The recognition of how they could be worse and being grateful for what you have actually sustains the gratitude, it sustains the joy. But if you get entitled to what you have and you don't appreciate the fact that it could be worse, that's usually where the world directs you or your internal psychology directs you towards the sadness to make you aware. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, you would just have hubris, you would just have arrogance. So, sadness and these other emotions, they keep us in check because, you know, we would just have dopamine rushes all the time. If we would just do drugs and do, um, stuff that makes us feel good all the time, if there was no consequence. But the reason why people don't do heroin is not because, um, of becoming a heroin. like it's because of the bad side of what can happen. You know, so like we don't try to feel good all the time to that level because we realize that there's effects that happen. Mm-hmm. And we all know, like, a heroin addict who does heroin over and over and over again, they get to a point where they destroy their entire life. On a micro level, our emotions are much like that too. If we always try to be happy, we're always buying stuff mm-hmm. to feel good, we're always trying to feel good, and everything else is bad. I think we end up putting ourselves into our own little depression. So holistic, be okay with being angry. Be okay with being sad. Be okay with being disgusted. Be okay with being joyful, but don't make one more important. And yeah. was the other one? Did I miss one? Uh, um, joy, joy, anger, sadness,
1: anger, and disgust, disgust, and fear. Fear.
0: Yeah. If you're scared, you're scared. It's all good. You can be scared. I think it's important to admit that you're scared sometimes it's part of living, man. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is a good one yeah I don't know how much of the movie we got to break down but I feel like Uh, whatever this is kind of for me this is this is what it's about it's like we're gonna start off here like we're gonna break it down and wherever that leads to because I always like exploring the thematic elements of them anyways because they lead on I'm I'm interested in yeah the big conversation like of the ideas of the film you know and maybe we can give some insights in the actual how it's done along the way but totally yeah talk evening. about the important shit of it
0: totally and i don't think that everybody gets access to this kind of breakdown i don't think these things are common which i think is well maybe i don't maybe, know yeah no if i don't know knows, <laughs> but honestly if someone on the podcast knows about a source of people who talk about movies this way please let me know like like just write us on twitter or private messages mm-hmm. or, or just come to our website at the BNEpodcast.com and just write us on our message board and let us know because first of all i'd like to hear them and second of all those would be great people to connect with. Cause they're like, yeah, yeah. They're talking about what I want to talk about. Okay. All right. So, uh, I'm going to end this baby and, uh, I can barely see it, but this is it folks. Thanks for tuning in.